This is the Mind Body Work podcast dedicated to discussions about the well-being and health of working professionals. My first guest speaker today is Katie D. Bertrand, the training manager at Oxfordshire Mind. With a decade of experience at Oxfordshire Mind, she leads the training, crafting and delivering of workplace well-being programmes. She's also a mental health first aid instructor alongside an interrogative therapist with frontline experience. Her insights shape best practice workplace wellbeing consulting, combining therapeutic expertise with practical know-how. Hi Katie, how are you? Hi there Joanne, I'm doing well, how about you? Very well, thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast this morning. So uh, my first uh, question for you today, um, so workplace wellbeing is a broad term, can you define what a culture of wellbeing means in the workplace and how this term has grown significantly since the pandemic? Yeah, um, let's de- deconstruct this term, workplace well-being. So I think we've all heard the word well-being as a real buzzword at the moment, but mm. what does it actually mean and what does it have to do with the workplace? So well-being is a positive concept of mental health. And because mental health and physical health are so closely related, it's also a positive concept of our o- overall health. And it may be that, you know, if I asked you, what do you think of when you think of mental health, you you might immediately think of mental ill health. And we want to get away from these purely negative associations because positive mental health is much more than the absence of mental ill health. It's actually about thriving or flourishing where we're realizing our abilities and coping well with day-to-day stresses. We have autonomous autonomy and purpose and we're working productively and have a sense of belonging to our community. But, you know, just because we don't have diagnosable ill health doesn't mean we've got positive mental health. We're, we're all on that continuum. And people with moderate mental health or in poor mental health aren't feeling or performing at their best. So we, we really want um, the population and our workforces to, to be in positive well-being and, and to be thriving. But how does that relate to the workplace? So our well-being enables us to work productively and fruitfully, but the relationship is also both ways around because our workplaces can enable our well-being or not. So there are a lot of workplace risk factors to our mental health, and one of those is stress. So in a Time to Change survey, they found that two-thirds of workers with mental ill health um, said that had either been caused or exacerbated by workplace stress. And another risk factor in our workplaces is stigma around mental health. Uh, A culture of non-disclosure means that any issues can actually become long-standing if they aren't disclosed. But we also know that unemployment is a big risk factor for well-being. So work can also be a really protective factor, increasing our well-being, meaningful activity, a routine, a sense of purpose, social connections, learning and development, and not to mention a secure income. So when our workplaces minimize risk factors for poor mental health and maximize those protective factors for for positive mental health, employees can be thriving and feeling and functioning at their best. And I think you also asked about the the pandemic and workplace well-being was was not a new concept with the pandemic so the thriving at work report was actually commissioned by the government in 2017 and these core standards for how employers can support employee mental health can be found on the the health and safety exec website but the pandemic 
did highlight mental health as a whole population concern as we collectively experienced an increase in risk factors and a decrease in those protective factors for our mental health. And the massive and sudden increase in working from home really meant that this outdated idea that we can leave our problems at the door when we enter the workplace really became meaningless. And we all experienced the pros and cons of working from home, remote working, flexible working. And people actually experienced firsthand that the way we work affects our mental health, factors outside of work impact our work. And we saw that employers need to and can support our mental health by by being adaptable. There was also a lot of mental health related turnover post COVID with a lot of people looking to work for organizations that prioritized employee wellbeing. So Mm -hmm. The pandemic really highlighted the need for and possibilities for workplace well-being. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so amazing to see the term snowball so rapidly these days. Mm. Um, it, it's so, so incredibly important. And of course, there are so many different um, components to it as well, which you which you touched upon there. So in mm. light of that, could you explain the different dimensions and highlight the benefits of creating a culture of well-being for both employers and employees? Absolutely. In in terms of those different dimensions, I tend to think of there being three main strands, and um, I call them the, the three Ps. So we've got promotion of well-being for all, um, prevention by having an open culture around mental health, and proactive early support when, when issues do develop. So um, the most recent Deloitte report, Mental Health and Employers, The Case for Investment, actually showed us that in terms of annual costs of poor mental health to UK employers, those have skyrocketed to 53 to 56 billion pounds annually. Mm. And this is costs related to absenteeism, presenteeism, which is lost productivity when people are continuing to work in poor mental health and mental health related turnover. So this is massive, but there is a bright side to these stats as well. So the Deloitte report found that for every one pound invested in employee mental health, there's a five pound 30 return. So the business case is is really clear in terms of those benefits to employers. Um, The Deloitte report also um, gives us a breakdown of um, what types and stages of intervention yield the highest return on investment, which really shows us what's effective in a culture of well-being. So in terms of that stage of intervention, they showed that a reactive approach, waiting until problems have developed, really yielded the lowest return on investment. But what yielded by far higher returns was universal preventative approaches and proactive approaches. So what do these preventative and proactive approaches actually look like in the workplace? So a preventative approach takes account of our whole workforce because mental health is something that that we all have. And there's a real need for um, an open culture around mental health. So breaking down stigma, normalizing conversations about mental health as conversations that we don't only have when something is wrong. And um, the stats really show um, what a culture of non-disclosure there is in the workplace. So apparently um, more than 50% of employees with a diagnosed mental health condition haven't told their line manager. And if people aren't disclosing in the workplace, then 
they're not getting the support they're entitled to 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 perform at their best and and manage their mental health at work and and problems can become long-standing and and recurrent and of that 53 to 56 billion in costs 46 percent of those costs were from presenteeism people coming to work despite being in poor mental health so for an open culture regular opportunities to talk about mental health with your line manager in your team whether or not there's an issue and visibility and awareness of mental health in the workplace so for example events or speakers around an awareness day such as world mental health day which we've got coming up on the the 10th of october mm-hmm. so for prevention we need that open culture around mental health, but beyond mental health, wider than that is the promotion of well-being for all. And that's engaging employees when, when there's change, listening to employees, showing they're valued by providing learning and development opportunities, culture of supportive relationships at work and work-life balance around working sensible hours and, and taking your annual leave. Prevention is great, but Ultimately, you know, problems will develop. Mental health problems are common. So at that stage, it's the proactive early support. So smart employers know that the earlier they give an employee support to cope and recover, the quicker they're back to their their peak performance. And that's better for employers, but there's also better recovery outcomes for, for those employees. And this involves managers spotting signs, having supportive conversations and offering practical support, not just reasonable adjustments on return to work, but what can help that employee stay in work, which is also better both for the organisation and the employee. So there are real economic and human benefits to preventative and proactive approaches in the workplace. Follow us on Twitter at WorkWellPro or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Mm, Yeah, clearly, absolutely. And I feel like those stats you mentioned really do hit home and emphasise how important it is to have those open and honest conversations. And you can see it in in the business success as a result of that. It is, yeah, incredible. So with with regard to that, what role does leadership play in fostering a culture of well-being? And how can leaders authentically promote and prioritise employee health and happiness? Mm, mental health strategy really needs a whole organization approach um, at all levels, employees, managers, and crucially, senior leaders. So the different aspects of the role of senior leaders in creating a culture of employee well-being is laid out step by step um, in Oxfordshire Mind's mental health strategy for the workplace training aimed at senior leadership. And if senior leadership are driving the strategy, importantly, they can sign off the budgets needed. So they should be well informed about the business case, which, as we've said, speaks for itself. And to enable that open culture for preventative early disclosure, a clear signal needs to be sent to staff that their mental health matters, that mental health is taken as seriously as physical Mm -hmm. health, and that being open will lead to support and not discrimination. And when this message comes from senior leaders, it has a huge impact. And of course, senior leaders are not immune from being uh, one of those one in six workers experiencing common mental health problems. So champions, mental health champions at all levels in an organization is is really powerful for that message that it's not a barrier to, to career development. In terms of that promotion of well-being for all, I've mentioned work-life balance and actually senior leaders need to be living that and role-modelling that with, with integrity. Yes. 
Also, a mental health strategy is most effective when it's employee-led and a response to the needs of your people in, in your workplace. And that needs to be informed by data from employees on the mental health of the workforce and their experience of, of the organizational culture. And senior leaders can lead on making use of data that already is existing in an organization and collecting additional data mental health focused data if needed. And by finding out what's working and what needs attention, such as workplace risks to poor mental health, they can use this to action plan a mental health strategy, which should be in continual development as the impact of interventions are monitored. And there's another point around policy and practice. Are they up to date and reflecting this? So while it's a really positive step to have a mental health strategy as an organisation, this isn't a standalone policy. A lot of policies are relevant here. Health and safety, sickness absence, performance management, recruitment, change management, EDIE. Is mental health embedded in all of them and are the policies all joined up? So having senior leadership driving the mental health agenda sends a really strong message and that's vital for the effective implementation of the agenda. Mm, Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you mentioned the importance of uh, leaders acting as a role model for their employees. Mm. Do you think that it might be a little bit difficult for leaders to to role model this kind of behaviour if they are under uh, a lot of pressure or or stress themselves? Or do you think it's become more normalised to behave in this way at work? So I think, um, you know, whilst we would all hopefully support someone else to disclose, disclosing ourselves um, can make us feel vulnerable. There is still a lot of stigma um, around mental health. But I think, you know, more and more um, leaders around the world, celebrities, people in the spotlight are disclosing. Um, And and, and it's it's okay to role model being human and, and role model vulnerability. But of course, no one should disclose anything they're not they're not comfortable with. And I think there's that line with disclosure. It doesn't mean that, that you'll be breaking down in front of people. It could be as simple as saying, yeah, you know, I've experienced stress. Yeah, I've, I've got support for my mental mm. health and found it really helpful. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're, very true um it is more and more in the news these days people Mm -hmm. opening up about it um which is great to see okay well thank you so much um for your time today katie you've provided us with some really uh, valuable insights and, and information um i really appreciate your time thanks for having me joanne cheers take care bye take care bye If you have any comments on the podcast or you'd like to suggest a topical speaker or provide other feedback you can contact us using the email editor at workplacewellbeing.pro. We look forward to hearing from you. My second guest speaker today is behavioural science expert John Davies. John's profound understanding of human behaviour has driven the success of multiple startups. John is currently leading the development of groundbreaking software solutions, including LeafYard, a platform that leverages behavioural science to empower individuals worldwide to take charge of their mental health making a significant impact on employee well-being. Hi, John. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Thank you. Yeah, beautiful sunny day here in Liverpool. Fabulous. Um, Yeah, looking forward to a good chat with yourself and um, your listeners. And yeah, thank you so much for the invitation. No problem at all. Thank you so much for joining me. The podcast is all about feeling good um, in in the workplace. So could you explain how behavioural science can be applied to promote positive changes in employee behaviour and attitudes towards mental health and well-being? 
Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, it's it's as it sounds. It's actually really quite tough. But the good news is, is that, you know, there are things that you can do. And the things that you need to do really is you need to look out into the world and say what actually works. Um, there's nothing worse than kind of coming up with an idea yourself that's not really got any kind of foundation or clinical backing in order to uh, promote change and positive well-being in the workplace. Um, so it's actually quite tough. So uh, what I would suggest if you know you really wanted to, to make a change, you should really be looking at long-running interventions. Obviously, I'm sure we all know that mental health and well-being is something that in the past many organisations have tried to either ignore or just pay the problem away or not really try and crack the issue. Um, so one of the ways that we can actually get around that is looking at long running interventions, um, things that last a long time, not just a, hey, let's have a yoga session of a Wednesday afternoon and then let's all get back to being miserable every every other day of the year. Yeah. You know, when we think about um, other social health interventions like going to the gym, nobody runs in the gym three times and goes right i finished the gym i've done it that's all i have to do when we look at health and well-being interventions a lot of the time they are really short-lived so looking at long-running interventions and looking at things that have been successful um is a great way to start we take at leaf we take great inspiration from things like couch to 5k that i'm sure all your listeners are aware of mm -hmm. uh, you know an amazing exercise in both public health and behavioral science it takes a really tough task you know running a 5k if you've never run it before and breaks it into small achievable chunks that all over time add up to a greater whole you know it's a really interesting way of dealing with it um so yeah i would say don't be looking for quick fixes you know people in the main don't get better magically from anxiety stress and depression they either have to work at it or the situation changes or we can't expect oh yeah here's a here's a bike for a ride to work scheme and suddenly everyone's happy it doesn't work that way really so a lot of it is about creating the context and understanding that if someone wanted to improve themselves would they know what to do would they know where to go and would they know how to access the services and i think you know we've been quite lucky in a way at leafyard in that we've been able to look at the mistakes that other people have made to a large degree um when we look at things like Mental health first aiders are a fantastic thing that lots of organisations have in place. But, you know, I'm not sure I'd want to speak to someone about the problems I'm having at home. And then, you know, half an hour later, I'll be in the meeting with, in a different meeting with the same person, you know. So yeah. there are lots of things that we can do and put in place, but we have to be mindful of actually how we deliver them and how we put them in place. Um, you know, in terms of actual behavioural science techniques, we've got the usual things such as nudges, which is probably the most common thing people would associate with behavioral science which are small incremental ch changes in the way that people make, make choices so for example it, you know if it, an organization was really invested in letting people take short mental health break, breaks every once a day for 10 minutes they might send reminders or set default calendar breaks to nudge employees to actually do it mm. that's a great way of putting these kind of interventions but the two things that we've really learned um at leafyard that work really really well is good strong leadership a leader who can get up and stand in front of their employees and say look modern society is hard work is hard and we all suffer it now and again but you know nobody has to suffer on their own there is always a step that someone can take to make them feel better we found far and away to be the most transformative process in all of the organizations that we work with so that would be you know another really good hint would be you know write it into your into your values um, really think 
what do we want to get out of it? And I think one of the greatest motivators for leaders to really begin to take notice notice of this kind of stuff is this idea of presenteeism. So I think it's really seductive as employers and leaders and business owners to look at the end game of uh, anxiety, stress and depression, which is people just quitting the job or going off sick for six months or whatever. That is not actually where the majority of the problem lies. Where the majority of the problem lies is in what they call presenteeism, which is people who are rocking up to work every day on two hours sleep or engaging in some other unhealthy kind of coping mechanism and just not living a fulfilling life and performing to the best of, of their abilities. And many of these people will never, ever, ever put their hand up and ask for help. You know, so there's a, a large proportion of your workforce today who are struggling. You know, I'm sure we all know the figures now. Um, so strong leadership and saying, look, you know, if you need any help, there's always something that you can do is a really transformative piece that we found in, you know, actual daily work. You know, this isn't this isn't one of the, you know, the criticisms of behavioral sciences that it can be incredibly theoretical. You know, we're talking about stuff that we've learned as an organization ourselves in many, many rollouts with organizations. Um, and I suppose the last real behavioral science trick that you can use is social proof. You know, we all tend to do what other people are doing and sharing success stories and testimonials from people who've benefited from the well-being resources that um, an organization has put in place is a really, really powerful technique too. So short version is it's not that easy can be done it just takes a little bit of thinking about and and you know don't even begin to think that you can just buy something off the shelf that'll solve all your problems because it just won't to be honest yeah absolutely I couldn't agree more and we're all so unique as humans and like going back to the 5k thing as well some people might love that idea but other people might think oh that is just my nightmare thinking I would do that for my personal well-being so it really hits home how different we all are and how different strategies work for different people yeah so absolutely and we see this a lot in um you know when we take cognitive behavioral therapy cbt as an example which i'm sure all your listeners are, are aware of um you know when we look at the amount of times that people go to see the gp and do an nhs an amazing nhs uh, cbt course a lot of the time we see in the statistics people will return again two years later or four years later even though they've learned the cbt techniques so a lot of things that we put in place are actually about the practical application of it. How do we actually get people to do the things that we put in place? Because it's always very important to remember that as employers and leaders, we're only partially responsible for our employees' well-being. You know, we've all got lives outside of work. We're not wholly responsible for how people feel and how they act. The best thing that we can do is provide context and give people the ability that if they want to make a change, they have the ability to make a change on on terms that make the most sense to them as an individual. Mm, yeah, that completely makes sense. Um, direct people in the right way should they want to uh, get the help that they they need and deserve. Absolutely. Yeah, well, lovely. Um, so m moving on slightly, could you share a case study or anecdote where a company significantly improved their employee well-being through the application of behavioural science principles, and what were the key factors that contributed to this success? So uh, it would be quite easy for me to jump into a Leafyard advertisement here because that's essentially <laughs> what Leafyard does is, yeah. you know, allows organisations to use behavioural science to change people's lives. And uh, again, we cannot take full responsibility for what we've done because, as I say, we're absolutely shameless in 
taking everything that we've learned from psychology, real psychology, retail psychology, um, you know, cheesy sales techniques, uh, things that we learned from the sporting world. You know, it all kind of works to change people's behavior and and wellness. Um, But the kind of things that we do are obviously things that we've taken from elsewhere and you can do them too. You don't necessarily need Leafyard to, to do what you need to do. In terms of case studies, it's really interesting to look at what really large organizations do because a lot of time they have the money to spend on the research in terms of behavioral science. Um, But once the research is done, we can all learn from it ourselves, which is absolutely fantastic. One of the things that I often talk about is a project that Google did called uh, Aristotle, where they really try to understand uh, what makes a great team, what are the factors that contribute to a team's success. And they set about... uh, a large period of study uh, over several teams, collecting data and information from, you know, team composition to personality types, skills and backgrounds, hobbies, favorite colors, everything. And they really tried to work out what are the bits that make a good team together. And what they found was uh, the number one factor contributing to a successful team was this concept of psychological safety. Mm. The idea that people won't be looked down upon if they came up with ideas or bad ideas or questions or concerns or mistakes, the idea that no feedback was off limits uh, and people felt free to really discuss how they felt about the work that they were working on within a team context. Um, You know, that's ultimately a direct component of mental wellbeing uh, Mm -hmm. because ultimately employees in psychologically safe environments are less likely to experience stress, anxiety, and fear, you know, as obviously as, employers we want people to do the best that they can do and giving people that um, safety to make great decisions and come up with really creative solutions is is absolutely fantastic so anything that we can do to foster that is obviously a really good thing so essentially what google did was a ton of education and training you know training leaders to foster these environments of psychological safety the usual stuff of active listening empathy you know open dialogue kind of stuff that we'd all always expect Regular check-ins are really, really important to keep that context and that continual uh, change, dynamic and motivation. Uh, And the outcome of all of that kind of education and check-ins was that the teams reported high levels of psychological safety and were more likely to take good risks, innovate, collaborate effectively, uh, leading to better outcomes and better well-being. So the key factors really that contribute to these kind of things is obviously a commitment from leadership. Again, I would suggest to anyone that's the number one thing that you need to do is get your head straight in terms of this is something that we want to do as an organization my understanding is google were bought into this right at the very top um, the second thing was to do take a data-driven approach you know have two different teams to compare against and see which interventions work best and always you know continuous feedback taking feedback from the teams changing adapting taking the old agile approach as we used to call it long ago uh, and continually changing our direction based on feedback are incredibly you know powerful techniques to get you where you need to go brilliant thank you yeah i have heard google have got a very good company culture um that i guess that does stem as well the financial side of it is they 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 can afford to to present that kind of culture for their employees Um, my understanding is they do have a dedicated people analytics team which is essentially a group of social scientists and they've been at the forefront of using data to you know work out what makes us happy at work and again that one of of the great things i love about behavioral science is 
um, everything that people learn is always shared. You know, it's a really um, collaborative discipline. So we can take the things that Google have learned and paid for out of their own money and use it ourselves in our own interventions is a fantastic thing, obviously. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, very, very interesting. Thank you for that. And I just have one final question for you. Um, so in your view, how can the principles of behavioural science be integrated into a company's overall values and mission to create a holistic culture of well-being? Yeah, I think there's a, there, there really is only one way of doing it, and that is from a, a right-at-the-top leadership-driven approach. Because obviously, you know, we're all here in a commercial world, and, you know, our CFO might not see the same value in investing in health and well-being um, interventions as the person involved of you know the the, uh, the head of people so we all have different views really in terms of how investment should go and, and what we need to do in order to improve uh, the mental health and well-being of our employees so one of the ways of doing that really is for the leaders to be really bought in right at the top and understand that you know there is a real commercial threat to organizations for not taking this stuff seriously. I mean, there's a there's a an article in the Guardian today saying um, the total cost of poor mental health to UK business is fifty six million pounds a year, mm. uh, and that's uh, there's a, there's a great report that Deloitte put out every year, uh, which is about the financial impact of mental health um, on the workplace, and it's absolutely terrifying in terms of the amount of money that's been lost this kind of stuff you know i think a lot of the time we used to talk about health and well-being and making people feel better and it, wouldn't it be great to have a load of happy employees you know if people don't understand that as a message then understand that you're leaking money at every single turn yeah. by not addressing these things um so yeah leadership is the number one answer to all of this kind of stuff buy into it understand the value of doing this kind of stuff is not just a a warm feeling it's about pounds and pence as well Brilliant. Well, John, you've provided some wonderful information here today. Thank you so much uh, for for your time. Yeah, no problem at all. Obviously, if anyone wants to contact me, uh, hopefully my details are here in the podcast notes somewhere. And yeah, anyone wants to talk behavioural science or anything like that, feel free to get in touch. But other than that, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Brilliant. Thank you. Cheers, John. Bye. Thanks a lot. Bye. The Mind Body Work Podcast is brought to you by WorkplaceWellbeing.pro a website dedicated to the well-being and health of working professionals. Daily news items are posted, accompanied by in-depth analysis of topics including financial well-being, mental health and stress. You can sign up for our weekly newsletters to keep up to date with our content. Thank you for listening.